Gillette also became a pioneer in the application of technology. But Gillette's technology accelerators lay largely in manufacturing technology. Think about the technology required to make billions, literally billions, of low-cost, high-tolerance razor blades. And when you and I pick up a Gillette razor, <laughs> it's a weird thing to emphasize, we expect the blade to be perfect and we expect it to be inexpensive per shave. For example, to create the sensor, Gillette invested over $200 million in design and development. Most of it focused on manufacturing breakthroughs and earned 29 patents. It pioneered the application of laser welding on a mass scale to shaving systems, a technology normally used for expensive and sophisticated products like heart pacemakers. The whole key to Gillette's shaving systems lay in manufacturing technology so unique and proprietary that Gillette protected it the way Coca-Cola protects its secret formula, complete with armed guards and security clearances. I don't know if Gillette goes so far as to uh, proprietary uh, legislation, uh, granting them the ability to coke, <laughs> to coke, to uh, import cocaine is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, technology accelerators and the good to great companies. Technology accelerators linked to hedgehog company concept during transition era. Oh good, we've got a table. Abbott, pioneered application of computer technology to increase economic denominator of profit per employee. Not a leader in pharmaceutical R&D. Leaving that to Merck, Pfizer, and others that had a different hedgehog concept. Circuit City. Pioneered the application of sophisticated point-of-sale and inventory tracking technologies. Linked to the concept of being the McDonald's of big-ticket retailing. Able to operate a geographically dispersed system with great consistency. Fannie Mae. Pioneered, uh, where'd it go? Pioneered application of sophisticated algorithms and computer analysis to more accurately assess mortgage risk, thereby increasing economic denominator of profit per risk level. Smarter system of risk analysis increases access to home mortgages for lower income groups, linking to passion for democratizing homeownership. Gillette pioneered application of sophisticated, we just did that. Kimberly Clark, pioneered application of manufacturing process technology, especially non-woven materials, to support their passionate pursuit of product superiority. Sophisticated R&D labs. Babies crawl about with temperature and humidity sensors trailing from their tails. What the fuck? Uh, that was in quotes, but still, I don't... Sophisticated R&D labs, semicolon. Quote, babies crawl about with their temperature and humidity sensors trailing from their tails. That's weird on so many levels. Don't just act like you're summing something up we already fucking talked about with the baby tales. Let me just uh, sneak this. I don't want to have to explain this. I'm just going to sneak this in. Kroger pioneered application of computer and information technology to the continuous modernization of superstores. First to seriously, seriously experiment with scanners, which are linked to the entire cash flow cycle, thereby providing funds for the massive store revamping process. Nucor pioneered application of the most advanced mini-mill steel manufacturing technology. Shop the world over for the most advanced technology. Willing to make huge bets, up to 50% of corporate net worth on new technologies that others viewed as risky, such as continuous thin slab casting. Philip Morris pioneered application of both packaging and manufacturing technology. <sighs> Bet on technology to make flip-top boxes, the first packaging innovation in 20 years in the industry. 
First to use computer-based manufacturing. Huge investment in manufacturing center to experiment with test and refine advanced manufacturing and quality techniques. Pitney Bowes pioneered application of advanced technology to the mailroom. At first, it took the form of mechanical postage meters. Later, Pitney invested heavily in electrical software communications and internet engineering for the most sophisticated back office machines. Made huge R&D investment to reinvent basic postage meter technology in the 80s. Walgreens pioneered application of satellite communications and computer network technology. Linked to its concept of convenient corner drugstores tailored to the unique needs of specific demographics. Quote, a swallow on your tonsils. Whoa. Big investment on a satellite system that links all stores. What the fuck are these fucking... A swallow on your tonsils. Big investment on a satellite system that links all stores together like one giant web of a single corner pharmacy. Like a trip through NASA Space Center. Allowed the rest of the industry by at least a decade. I feel like we're just watching this guy become senile. Pioneered application of technologies that would increase the economic denominator of profit per employee. Early leader in 24-hour banking. Early adapter of ATMs. First to allow people to buy and sell mutual funds at an ATM. Pioneered internet and electronic banking. Pioneered sophisticated mathematics to conduct better risk assessment and lending. Technology as an accelerator, not a creator, of momentum. Uh, I haven't read this yet, but it sounds like catalyst is the word I think he was looking for. Something that moves a reaction along, but can't do anything by itself. When Jim Johnson became CEO of Fannie Mae, following David Maxwell, he and his leadership team, God, uh, he and his leadership team hired a consultant firm to conduct a technology audit. The lead consultant, Bill Kelvey, used a four-level ranking, with four being cutting edge and one being stone age. Fannie Mae ranked only a two. So following the principle of first two, Kelvin was hired to move the company ahead. When Kelvin came to Fannie Mae in 1990, the company lagged about 10 years behind Wall Street in the use of technology. Over the next five years, Kelvey systematically took Fannie Mae from a 2 to a 3.8 on a 4-point uh, ranking. He and his team created over 300 computer applications, including sophisticated analytical programs to control the $600 billion mortgage portfolio, online data warehouses covering 60 million properties, and streamlined workflows, significantly reducing paper and clerical effort. We moved technology out of the back office and harnessed it to transform every part of the business, said Kelvy. We created an expert system that lowers the cost of becoming a homeowner. Lenders using our technology reduced the loan approval time from 30 days to 30 minutes and lowered the associated cost by over $1,000 per loan. To date, the system has saved homebuyers nearly $4 billion. Notice that Fannie Mae's transition began in 1981 with the arrival of David Maxwell. Yet the company lagged behind in the application of technology until the early 90s. Yes, technology became of the prime importance to Fannie Mae, but after it discovered its hedgehog concept, and after it reached breakthrough. After it reached breakthrough? Okay, you're the author. Technology was a key part of what Fannie Mae leaders called the second wind of the transformation and acted as an accelerating factor. Again catalyst is the word you're looking for the same pattern holds for kroger gillette walgreens and all the good to great companies the pioneering application of technology usually came late in the transition and never at the start 
Box decide. This brings us to the central point of the chapter. When used right, technology becomes an accelerator of momentum, not a creator. The good to great companies never began their transitions with pioneering technology, for the simple reason that you cannot make good use of technology until you know which technologies are relevant. I want your those. Those, and only those, that link directly to the three intersecting circles of the hedgehog. To make technology productive and a transformation from good to great means asking the following questions. Does the technology fit directly with your hedgehog concept? If yes, then you need to become a pioneer in the application of that technology. If no, then ask, do you need this technology at all? If yes, then all you need is parity. You don't necessarily need the world's most advanced phone system to be a great company. If no, the technology is irrelevant and you can ignore it. I don't know the word parity, but I think it means like par. Now, all you need is like something that's basic. Maybe it's parity. P-A-R-I-T-Y. I mean, it's got to be parity, right? Parity. There you go. We came to see the pioneering application of technology as just one more way in which the good great companies remain disciplined within the frame of their hedgehog. Conceptually, their relationship to technology is no different from their relationship to any other category of decisions. Disciplined people who engage in disciplined thought and who then take disciplined action. If a technology doesn't fit squarely within the th three circles, they ignore all the hype and fear and just go about their business with a remarkable degree of equanimity. However, however, once they understand which technologies are relevant, oh boy, they become fanatical and creative in the application of those technologies. That's right. I am trying real hard to care about this. <laughs> I don't think coffee is something you typically gulp. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus fucking Christ. In the comparison companies, by contrast, we found only three cases of pioneering in the application of technology. Those three cases, Chrysler, computer-aided design, Harris, electronics applied to printing, and Rubbermaid, advanced manufacturing, were all unsustained comparisons, which demonstrates that technology alone cannot create sustained great results. Chrysler, for instance, made superb use of advanced computer-aided and other design technologies, but failed to link those technologies to a consistent hedgehog concept. As Chrysler strayed outside the three circles in the mid-80s from Gulfstream jets to Maserati sports cars, no advanced technology by itself could save the company from another massive downturn. Technology without a clear hedgehog concept and without the discipline to stay within the three circles cannot make a great company. And uh, the years following the publication of this book would definitely prove that Chrysler had its flaws. So he was right about that. <clears throat> The technology trap. Two incidents stand out in my mind as I write this chapter. The first is Time Magazine's selection in 1999 of Albert Einstein as person of the 20th century. If you frame the person of the century's selection around the question, how different would the world be today if that person hadn't existed, the choice of Einstein is surprising, compared to leaders like Churchill, Hitler, Stalin, and Gandhi, people who truly changed the course of human history, for better or worse. Physicists point out that the scientific community would have reached an understanding of relativity with or without Einstein, perhaps five years later, certainly ten, but not fifty. The Nazis never got the bomb, and the Allies would have won the Second World War without it, although it would have cost more Allied lives. Why did time pick Einstein? 
In explaining their selection, Time editors wrote, it's hard to compare the influence of statesmen with that of scientists. Nevertheless, we can note that there are certain eras that were most defined by their politics, others by their culture, and others by their scientific advances. So, how will the 20th century be remembered? Yes, for democracy. And yes, for civil rights. But the 20th century will be most remembered for its earth-shaking advances in science and technology, which advanced the cause of freedom in some ways more than any statesman did. In a century that will be remembered foremost for its science and technology, one person stands out as the paramount icon of our age, Albert Einstein. Well, we wouldn't have GPS. That's a big deal. In essence, the time editors didn't pick the person of the century so much as they picked the theme of the century, technology and science, and attached the most famous person to it, Paris Hilton. Interestingly, just a few days before the Einstein announcement, Time announced its person of the year for 1999. Who did it pick? None other than the poster child of e-commerce, Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Wow, back in 99. Reflecting yet again our cultural obsession with technology-driven change. Let me be clear, I neither agree nor disagree with Time's choices. I simply find them interesting and illuminating, because they give us a window into our modern psyche. Clearly, a key item on our collective mind is technology and its implications. Hey, I think we should uh, take a step back and uh, just remove yourself from this supporting of Einstein thing, you know. You don't want to cause any enemies. He is a little Jewy. Which brings me to the second incident. <laughs> Taking a short break from the rigors of writing this book, uh, I traveled to Minnesota to teach sessions at the Master's Forum. The Master's Forum has held executive seminars for nearly 15 years, and I was curious to know which themes appeared repeatedly over those years. One of the consistent themes, said Jim Erickson and Patty Griffin Jensen, program directors, is technology, change, and the connection between the two. Why do you suppose that is, I asked. I don't know, I'm just overcharging business people. Isn't it great? Don't complain. People don't know what they don't know. People don't know... Yeah, no, that's what it says. People don't know what they don't know, they said. And they're always afraid that some new technology is going to sneak up on them from behind and knock them on the head. They don't understand technology, and many fear it. We fear change. All they know for sure is that technology is an important force of change, and that they'd better pay attention to it. Given our culture's obsession with technology, and given the pioneering application of technology in the good to great companies, you might expect that technology would absorb a significant portion of the discussion in our interviews of good to great executives. Here we have another one of our asides. We were quite surprised to find that fully 80% of the good to great executives we interviewed didn't even mention technology as one of the top five factors in the transition. Furthermore, in the cases where they did mention technology, it had a median ranking of fourth, with only two executives of 84 interviewed ranking at number one. Well, eh, well I'll let him talk about it. If technology is so vitally important, why did the good to great executives talk so little about it? Certainly not because they ignored technology. They were technologically sophisticated and vastly superior to their comparisons. Furthermore, a number of the good, great companies have received extensive media coverage and awards for their pioneering use of technology. Yet the executives hardly talked about technology. As if the media articles and the executives were discussing two totally different sets of companies. Whoa, hey ya! 
Nucor, for example, became widely known as one of the most aggressive pioneers in the application of mini-meal steel manufacturing. With dozens of articles and two books that celebrated its bold investments in continuing thin slab casting and electric arc furnaces. Wow! Exciting stuff. Nucor became a cornerstone case of business schools as an example of unseating the old order through the advanced application of new technologies. We have Green Onions here on 99.7. But when we asked Ken Iverson, CEO of Nucor, you know, during its transition, uh, to name the top five factors, okay, I'm just going to skip the next few words. Where did he put it on the list? First, nope. Sec oh, God, he's going through all the different possibilities. First, no. Second, no. Third, nope. Fourth, not even. Fifth, sorry, but no. The prime factors, said Ken Iverson, were the consistency of the company and our ability to project its philosophies throughout the whole organization, enabled by our lack of layers and bureaucracy. So he's not so much... <laughs> so he doesn't value new technology. He just values getting rid of bureaucracy. He's sounding more and more like he's just a Republican. Stop and think about that for a moment. Here we have a consummate case study of upending the old order with new technology. And the CEO who made it happen doesn't even list technology in the top five factors from shift from good to great. God, you don't need to fucking spell it out so much in every sentence. It's the name of the book. Wait, do you think that's where the book got its name? Oh my God, it's one of those moments again. This same pattern continued throughout the new core interviews. Of the seven key executives and board members that we interviewed, only one picked technology as the number one factor in the shift, and most focused on other factors. <laughs> <laughs> A few key executives did talk about Nucor's big bets and technology somewhere in the interview, but they emphasized other factors even more. Getting people with a farmer work ethic on the bus. Getting the right people in key management positions. The simple structure and lack of bureaucracy. The relentless performance. Culture that increases profit per ton of finished steel. Technology was part of the Nucor equation, but a secondary part. Someone else was in charge. One new core executive summed it up. 20% of our success is the new technology that we embrace. But 80% of our success is in the culture of our company. This almost sounds like he's just making a racist statement. 80% of our success is in employing only white people. Indeed, you could have given the exact same technology at the exact same time to any number of companies with the exact same resources, and even still, they would have failed to deliver new course results. Like the Daytona 500, the primary variable in winning is not the car, but the driver and his team. Not that the car is unimportant, but it's secondary. Mediocrity results first and foremost from management failure, not technological failure. Bethlehem Steel's difficulties had less to do with the mini-mill techs and less and more to do with the history of adversarial labor relations, which ultimately had its roots in unenlightened and ineffective management. That's where they hired me to come bust some skulls. Bethlehem had already begun his long slide before Nucor and the other mini-mills had taken significant market share. In fact, by the time Nucor made his technological breakthrough with continuous thin slab casting in 86... Bethlehem had already lost more than 80% of its value relative to the market. This is not to say that technology played no role in Bethlehem's demise, no. You might think that, even though I've prefaced it pretty well by saying it's not because of that. But just so you know, technology did play a role, and ultimately a significant one. 
but technology's role was an accelerator of Bethlehem's demise. You might even say a catalyst, but I'm not going to. Not the cause of it. Again, it's the same principle at work. Technology as an accelerator, not a cause. Only in this comparison case is it operating in reverse. <laughs> Indeed, when we examined the comparison companies, we did not find a single example of a, company's, of a comparison company's demise. Coming primarily from a technology torpedo that blew it out of the water. R.J. Reynolds lost its position as the number one tobacco company in the world, not because of technology, but because R.J.R. management thrashed about with undisciplined diversification, and later went on a let's-make-management-rich-at-the-expense-of-the-company buyout binge. You might be asking yourself, is it even worth mentioning that that brought the stock down? Isn't it just go without saying that managements get rich at the expense of the rest of the company. Philosophy is inherently getting rich at the expense of the rest of the company, but no, not on this show. We spell it out for you. A&P, <laughs> spell it out, and then it's A&P, that's funny. Fell from the second largest company in America to irrelevance. Not because it lagged behind Kroger and scanning technology. No one cares about scanners but because it lacked the discipline to confront the brutal facts of reality about the changing nature of grocery stores. Forget it, A&P. This is grocery stores. Box aside. I can't keep doing that. The evidence from our study does not support the idea that technological change plays the principal role in the decline of once great companies, or the perpetual mediocrity of others. Certainly, technology is important. You can't remain a laggard and hope to be great. But technology by itself is never a primary cause of either greatness or decline. Throughout business history, also known as history, early technology pioneers rarely prevail in the end. VisiCalc, for example, was the first major personal computer spreadsheet. Where is VisiCalc today? Do you know anyone who uses it? And what of the company that pioneered it? Gone. It doesn't even exist. VisiCalc eventually lost out to Lotus123, which itself lost out to Excel. Lotus then went into a tailspin, saved only by selling out to IBM. Similarly, the first portable computers came from now-dead companies, such as Osborne Computers. Today, we primarily use portables from, from companies such as Dell and Sony. I was going to say, I'm actually surprised that um, since the book came out like 20 years ago uh those names are as relevant as they are but i mean dell is pretty pretty irrelevant now that i think about it dude you're getting a dell all right good can i get another line read of that dude you're getting a dell all right one more dude you're getting a dell all right thank you we'll call you this this pattern of the second or third or fourth oh keep going please Following prevailing, uh, follower prevailing over the early trailblazers shows up throughout the entire history of technological and economic change. That's right, folks. It's not about being clever. It's about coming after the guy who's clever. IBM did not have the early leading computers. It lagged so far behind Remington Rand, which had the Univac, the first commercially successful large-scale computer, yeah, I think I've heard of a Univac before, but I didn't know what it was. That people called its first computer IBM's Univac. Boeing did pioneer the commercial jet. 
Oh, did not. I was going to say, well, Boeing's doing okay. De Havilland did with the comet, but lost ground when one of its early jets exploded in midair. Not exactly a brand building moment. Ah, yes. So just wait for the other company to explode. Boeing, slower to market, invested in making the safest, most reliable jets and dominated the airways for over three decades. I could go on for pages. GE did not pine... <laughs> when you say I could go on, then you get to stop. GE did not pioneer the AC electrical system. Alternating current, right? Westinghouse did. Palm Computing did not pioneer the personal digital assistant. Apple did, with its high-profile Newton. AOL did not pioneer the consumer internet company. Wait, Palm Computing did not pioneer the personal digital assistant? Apple did? That's fucking hilarious. Apple must have, like been in a downturn the year that was written to compare it to palm i think apple now is like past coca-cola as like the it company as an example of like long-term sustained incredible profitability that's hilarious hey well oh god you gotta be careful with technological fucking references like you gotta know that's gonna go to style aol did not pioneer the consumer internet community CompuServe and Prodigy did. I remember CompuServe. I remember Prodigy for sure. They did that Fiestata song, right? We could make a long list of companies, and we will. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. There were technology leaders, but that failed to prevail in the end as great companies. Yes, that's what we've been talking about. It would be a fat. He writes everything as if the sentence needs to stand in itself, like. Like, he's got a weird, like, anxiety that someone is going to take something out of context. <laughs> so he has to make every sentence cover all the bases. We can make a long list of companies that were technology leaders, but that failed to prevail in the end. It would be a fascinating list in itself, but all the examples would underscore a basic truth. Technology cannot turn a good enterprise into a great one, nor by itself prevent disaster. Well... It's kind of obvious because technology can be duplicated easier than, like, strategy. You know, it's kind of like the way I often feel like English is in many ways more... I mean, there's people who are good at math, people who are good at, um, you know, the uh, good with words, you know? Um, but there's so many, like, tiny little intricacies involved in language. But then again, sports... You can think about, like, all the little calculations you have to do mentally to know where the ball's going and whatnot. What the fuck was I talking about? I have no idea. I just woke up. This is Memento. I just woke up. I have no idea. Am I reading this book, or is this book reading me? Um, we can make a long list of... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Technology cannot turn a good enterprise into a great one, nor by itself prevent disaster. Oh, yeah, technology is more, uh, like, you can copy it easier. Or at least it's more, I'll say this, it's more concrete. So you can, it, it might not be more simplistic, but it's easier to try and reproduce. You know, it's easier to reproduce a physical thing than, uh, than a philosophy. History teaches this lesson repeatedly. Well, you must love history. Consider the United States debacle in Vietnam. I don't know, that's pretty controversial. I wouldn't call it a, a debacle. I would say it's more of a... Uh, Victory against communism. Yeah, I'm going to call it a victory against communism. The U.S. had the most technologically advanced fighting force the world had ever known. Super jet fighters, 
helicopter gunships, people who didn't want to be there, LSD, advanced weapons, computers, sophisticated communications, LSD, miles of high-tech border sensors. Indeed, the reliance on technology created a false sense of invulnerability. The Americans lacked not technology, but a simple and coherent concept for the war. <laughs> yeah. On which to attach that technology. It lurched back and forth across a variety of ineffective strategies, never getting the upper hand. Although it, I mean, it kind of, it kind of did. I mean, we killed like 25 people for every American that died, so... It's really just eventually we were like, yeah, I don't really care. Meanwhile, the technologically inferior North Vietnamese forces adhered to a simple coherent concept, a guerrilla war of attrition aimed at methodically wearing down public support for the war at home. Whoa. Is he going to make... He's not going to make this sound like anti-Vietnam war sentiment was based on propaganda, is he? What little technology the North Vietnamese did employ, such as the AK-47 rifle, much more reliable and easier to maintain in the field than the complicated M-16, linked directly to that simple concept. And in the end, as you know, the United States, despite its technological sophistication, did not succeed in Vietnam. If you ever find yourself thinking that technology alone holds the key to success, then think again of Vietnam. <laughs> Okay, so I think we can safely say, okay, I'll say two things to be fair. One, it was kind of an interesting example, just or it was a novel example, uh, just because he hasn't given like an example of a battle yet and how that illustrates the ideas. Um, now, other than that, that was at least a full page that added absolutely nothing. He'd already given plenty of examples that really added nothing. Indeed, thoughtless reliance on technology is a liability, not an asset. Yes, when used right, when linked with a simple, clear, and coherent concept rooted in deep understanding, technology is an essential driver in accelerating forward momentum. But when used wrong, when grasped as an easy solution, without deep understanding of how it links to a clear and coherent concept, well... Technology simply accelerates your own self-created demise. Technology and the fear of being left behind. Remember that scene in Platoon where the guy's left behind in Vietnam? That's pretty crazy. I think it was Willem Dafoe. And he's like waving his arms. Oh yeah, and then it turns out that he, he lived, right? Doesn't that happen? I forget if I'm getting mixed up with Apocalypse now. Technology and the fear of being left behind. The research team ferociously debated whether this topic merited its own chapter. <laughs> well, let's get ready for a chapter that many felt was not necessary. There must be a technology chapter, Scott Jones said. We're bombarded by the importance of technology these days at the business school. If we don't address it, we'll leave a huge hole in the book. But it seems to me, countered Brian Larson, that our technology finding is just a special case of disciplined action. And it belongs in the previous chapter. Disciplined action means staying within the three circles, and that's the essence of our technology finding. True, but it is a very special case, pointed out Scott Cedarberg. Every one of the companies became extreme pioneers in the application of technology long before the rest of the world became technology obsessed. But compared to other findings like Level 5, the Hedgehog concept, and the first two, technology feels like a smaller issue, reported Amber Young. I agree with Brian. 
Technology is important, but as a subset of discipline, or perhaps the flywheel. We argued throughout the summer. We were overpaid. Then, Chris Jones, in her typically quiet and thoughtful way, asked a key question. What are we having for lunch? Why did the good-to-great companies maintain such a balanced perspective on technology when most companies became reactionary, lurching and running about like chicken little, as we're seeing with the internet? Why indeed? He actually wrote that. Chris's question led us to an essential difference between great companies and good companies, a difference that ultimately tipped the balance in favor of including this chapter. This guy's really like self-conscious about the fact that this thing even exists. What's up, pup? If you had the opportunity to sit down and read all 2,000-plus pages of transcripts from the Good to Great interviews, you'd be struck by the utter absence of talk about competitive strategy. Really? Would I be? Because on paper, literally, this book was like 400 pages, so I, I, I don't think I could be surprised by much. That didn't work. That's stupid. Sorry I said that. I'm not going to erase it, though. Yes, they did talk about strategy, and they did talk about performance, and they did talk about becoming the best, and they even talked about winning. But they never talked in reactionary terms, and never defined their strategies principally in response to what others were doing. They talked in terms of what they were trying to create and how they were trying to improve relative to the absolute standard of excellence. Okay, well, okay, so a couple things from my mind. Um, That's something that you're more in control of. Also, it is a management... Like, this is clearly a book about business management. Like, you don't go to business school and just have them teach you about computer programming. They teach you about business management and then other things insofar as they relate to business management. So, also the people that they're interviewing, these key people, it doesn't sound like they're specifically, like, interviewing the head technology officers, they would probably have a different story. They're they're interviewing the CEOs and people like that. And those people aren't like, it's not that they don't appreciate the technology, but that's not what they're going to talk about because that's not what their decisions are based on. Their decisions are not, you know, sitting down and crunching the numbers, but like how to actually make the semiconductor. Their decisions are like, whether they need to close the plant and open a new one or what, you know what I'm saying. The plant, it's like the most generic, like, businessy thing. I guess the mill is even worse. Nah, the plant's probably worse than the mill. They talked in terms of what they were trying to create and how they were trying to improve relative to the absolute standard of excellence. When we asked George Harvey to describe his motivation for bringing change to Pitney Bowes in the 80s, he said, I've always wanted to see Pitney Bowes as a great company. Let's start with that, all right? Let's just start there. That's a given that needs no justification or explanation. We're not there today. We won't be there tomorrow. There is always so much more to create for greatness in an ever-changing world. Or as Wayne Sanders summed up about the ethos that came to typify the inner workings of Kimberly Clark, we're just never satisfied. We can be delighted, but never satisfied. Okay, those aren't good examples because that doesn't contradict the idea of technology. Technology is perhaps the prime example of something that's never satisfied and always moving forward. (sighs) Those who built the good to great companies weren't motivated by fear. That also doesn't have to do with technology. They weren't driven by fear of what they didn't understand. They were 
They weren't driven by fear of looking like a chump. They weren't driven by fear of watching others hit it big. Well, they didn't. They were driven by the fear of being hammered by the... They weren't... <laughs> they weren't... I just expected the last one to be different. They weren't driven by the fear of being hammered by the competition. No, those who turn good into great are motivated by a deep creative urge. This is a box to decide, by the way. No, those who turn good into great are motivated by a deep creative urge and an inner compulsion for sheer and unadulterated excellence for its own sake. Those who build and perpetuate mediocrity, in contrast, are motivated more by the fear of being left behind. I believe all that. I think that holds true. I think people who are really going to do a good job, um, do a good job all around, you know, and care about little things and just put their heart into something and their sweat. I'm really fighting back. Okay, I'm not going to make a joke about putting stuff into things. Okay, we're going to move on. Never was there a better example of this difference than during the technology bubble of the late 1990s, which happened to take place right smack in the middle of the research on good to great. It served as an almost perfect stage to watch the difference between good to great play itself out, as the great ones responded like Walgreens, with calm equanimity and quiet deliberate steps forward, while the mediocre ones lurched about in fearful frantic reaction. I think these are all insights that are applicable to all sorts of things. I mean, because of how universal that notion is, it's also something that is well-trodden territory, but anyway. Indeed, the big point of this chapter is not about technology per se. You're kidding. No technology, no matter how amazing. No, not computers, not telecommunications, not robotics, not the internet, with internet capitalized again, can by itself ignite a shift from good to great. No technology can make you level 5. No technology can turn the wrong people into the right people. Well, just you wait. And computers, man, they're going to take over. No technology can instill the discipline to confront brutal facts of reality, nor can it instill unwavering faith. No technology can supplant the need for deep understanding of the three circles and the translation of that understanding into a simple hedgehog concept. No technology can create a culture of discipline. What about robot overlords? Duh. No technology can instill the simple inner belief that leaving unrealized potential on the table, letting something remain good when it can become great, is a secular sin. Those that stay true to these fundamentals and maintain their balance, even in times of great change and disruption, will accumulate the momentum that creates breakthrough momentum. <laughs> will accumulate the momentum that creates breakthrough momentum. I guess I have to like, I have to really emphasize the right thing in that. I have to really act it in order to make that sentence not be terrible. Those that do not, those that fall into reactionary lurching about will spiral downward or remain mediocre. This is the big picture difference between good and great. The gestalt of the whole study captured in the metaphor of the flywheel versus the doom loop, and it is to that overarching contrast that we now turn.